Afghan women's national team has risen to worldwide fame over the past year, but unfortunately, it's for all the wrong reasons. Prime example of women showing agency and living their own lives in Afghanistan, the players were forced to evacuate their homes in terrifying circumstances as the Taliban seized control over the country in August of 2021. Thanks to the tireless work of a series of not-for-profits and human rights campaigners, as well as former members of their coaching staff, a significant cohort has since settled in Melbourne, where they play in the local women's state leagues under the combined banner of the Afghan women's team and Melbourne Victory. Initially, it was thought that the group would gradually disperse and join various clubs throughout Melbourne, but their desire to continue to support each other and their desire to one day represent their country on the international stage has led them to stay united. Though groups such as the PFA, FIFA Pro, Human Rights for All and Melbourne Victory continue to supply the team with important educational, vocational, financial, sporting and legal support a year after their forced evacuation from their homeland, the shared connection between the team and their shared love of football has been vital. Speaking at the offices of the PFA, the team's central defender, Marsal, begins this special edition of Beyond the Lead by talking about her transition to a new life in Australia and why the support of her teammates has been so important. Uh, actually, for myself, it was so difficult because um, I'm here by myself and my whole family were back in Afghanistan and they were faced to lots of problems and dangers and yeah, that was such a bad situation and to fit in Australia by yourself and support your family and as uh, on side of that to do your soccer and <laughs> study it's a little bit hard but uh, a woman is much powerful to sit herself in any situation it's really amazing that when you don't have your first family you have your second family in uh, like in a foreign country, in a like, in somewhere that you don't know anyone, but you have a second family, and that's my team and my teammates and Khalida and those who are all um, supported us to come here and still they're supporting us to improve and to uh, be confirmed with FIFA to play under name of Afghanistan, and it's so valuable for all our teammates. Uh, you know, we um, went to airport and uh, we know all the uh, danger that we were, we were faced to, but uh, we did it to survive and we did it to play soccer again under the name of Afghanistan. And you know how much soccer is important and how much our country is important for us. And uh, we all want to again play under the flag of Afghanistan and um, uh, to reflect the message for the world that Afghanistan is still alive and the all women back in Afghanistan need support and we are a team, a group, like an agent for all those women back in Afghanistan and we are the heart that is still beating. Twice a week, the Afghan women's team train on the training pitches of Melbourne Victory's A-League women and youth sites. There, Masal's teammate Bahara explained the importance of the team's continued connection. Because uh, we know about each other, we had uh, too much problems in uh, Afghanistan. Now we are here with our our people, like 
Afghani people. We are together. We we was um, uh, classmates. We was friends. Uh, for that, it's uh, it's um, good for us to uh, we are together now. It's so enjoyable for us when we um, uh, know about something new. Uh, always we share with them because we you know um, all of us have problems and um, everywhere. Now uh, it's time to support each other and uh, cover each other. Yeah, it's I think it's beautiful things in all of wars um, for all of humans. Khalida Papal helped found the Afghan Women's National Team when the Taliban were initially driven from the country and later went on to serve as its captain. Her fierce advocacy for the rights of women and girls and a desire to see them empowered, however, made her a target, and she was forced to flee Afghanistan and seek asylum in Europe in 2011. Now based in Denmark, her advocacy was a driving factor in raising the alarm surrounding the danger to her successors in the team. On a visit to Melbourne, she explained the process that went into ensuring the group would be able to stay together in their new home, and how that eventually led them to being absorbed into the professional setup of victory under the stewardship of the most successful women's coach in Australian National League history, Jeff Hopkins. When the team came first in Australia, you know, and they were in the, in the hotels, we didn't know where they will be placed, and of course we, they were also going through a lot mentally. Um, it was difficult for them to take a decision and also I didn't want to kind of push them as someone like their mentor or someone that they trust and lean on. Um, I wanted to give them the time and that's why I was pushing everybody to just leave them, to let them to, to be ready and prepared and let them to say when and if they want to play football. I was always scared that they will come and say, we hate football, we don't want to go back. And I was even ready for that. Um, so I have um, always uh, the team mentoring session, weekly, monthly um, uh, sessions like online. We come meet each other here, um, how everybody doing and what is the need. Uh, and I have this kind of sessions with the players. And um, the first few sessions that I had, there was nothing about football and I, w I didn't want to kind of like push them. And then, um, and then they started like going trainings here and there. And then they asked, can we play football again? Can we play as a team together? Uh, and was a, a team, a team voice, um, not only individual, but the entire team was, can we play again as a team and represent our country? Because we feel uh, it's like everything is taken away and we are forced to leave Afghanistan, we are forced to be in the situation that we didn't plan. And, and we stopped dreaming. Um, and then I said, yes, let, let, let's try. Now you're ready. And I was so excited about it. So I wrote directly like after my Zoom call with the, with the team. I was like, OK, I know a guy who can make this happen. <laughs> and, and Craig Foster is actually our hero because he is the one like I write midnight, early morning, like I write him, this is what we need. Do you have someone who can help? And he is always responsive. He is always there. He is always available for us. And that's what usually people need, right? Someone in the ground. Uh, 
and I'm not there all the time. So, and Craig was like, wait, I will try to see. And it didn't really take hours. It was a quick decision. And he said, I, I've, I think I've got a team for you. And, I, and he wrote the name and I was, okay. I didn't know how big is the club, of course. I, and I, I, I sent like, we have a, a WhatsApp group with the team. And I wrote, uh, I forwarded the, the name of the club um, to the group. And the, everybody was like, oh no, this is one of the biggest, best clubs in Australia. Oh, if they accept, that will be great. And, and everybody, you could see how emotional they were, how happy they were. Everyone was so happy. And, and then I think it was in a few hours, we, were, we had a, a group um, where two players and, and uh, Craig Foster and John um, from Melbourne Victory <laughs> was, we joined the group and then we had a next day uh, a, a Zoom meeting and we, we agreed uh, that Melbourne Victory will be um, a club for them who will be home um, and that is fantastic. The, the great opportunity, great facilities, fantastic coaches, very professional environment. The players feel valued, they feel respected, they feel they receive the support and I, also the kindness around the people. Like I have been a few days now here and I've been in their training. The love, kindness and support that they are receiving is fantastic. And that's just like a football has given them a, a second family. And thanks to Melbourne Victory for providing that opportunity and, and warmness and kindness. Uh, actually, at first when they told us that the Jeff Hopkins uh, will be your coach, it was really amazing and uh, every single person in our uh, team was ex so excited for that. Uh, yeah, it was such a big dream that one day you will be and the coaching of such a, a famous coach. And yeah, uh, the trainings are much different and much uh, better than Afghans and we did in, back in there because you know the situation and the level of soccer is uh, so different between these two countries and yeah now it's uh, so good and I think so and next year uh, you will see another soccer team like in another level like it, it will be Afghan women's team but in another level like a uh, professional team. I was at your first couple of games. Unfortunately, it was nil-nil in the first game, but then you scored a lot of goals in your second game and you've been scoring a few goals in recent times. Just what, what do you feel when you get to run out onto the pitch with your teammates here in Australia and just, I mean, just forget about everything else and for 90 minutes just play football? Um, actually, after such a long time, the when Taliban tried to take over Afghanistan and they attacked to many provinces, we stopped playing soccer because our lives were in danger and our coach told us that um, you can't play anymore in the federation because um, there is many much dangers for you. And we stopped playing soccer uh, and after such a long time, like eight or nine months, we played against soccer and we uh, feel the ground again it was really amazing it it means for me it means like after such a long time you meet your love 
it was like this. And yeah, for the game that we did nail nail, that was the reason that after such a long time we played against soccer and uh, as well it was real grass and <laughs> a little bit different from our own country. There, yes, definitely. Their stories are fantastic. Our stories have always been fantastic because of our activism. But also, we have been, we are players. We, our, our girls are footballers. They love playing football. They love competing and they love winning. Uh, and they do everything. They really work hard and they want to improve. And some of them already say, how many years it take that I can actually play for the national team of Australia? And this is what they are seeing. This is their vision. And some of them ask, okay, what do I need to actually play for, for one of the, the big clubs in, in Europe? So this is their dreams. It's not just like, okay, I have a story and I'm happy and grateful. Yes, they are grateful, but they want to play in a higher league and they all want to compete and they want to, they want to challenge themselves as well, which is fantastic. And they're young. They're 17, 18 years old. They're very young. I mean, the reason the, 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 it was so important and it was urgent to, to, uh, to support and get the players to safety is because the foundation, which was built many years back in, uh, when we started in 2002, right after the fall of Taliban, when they had the first um, time the, the power in the country, we started the uh, movement for women in Afghanistan through football to the foundation was built on empowerment and, and activism. We as a women of Afghanistan, we wanted to use football to be the voice for our voiceless sisters who are still living in, in a male-dominated country, but in also the culture that was preventing them from uh, participating actively in, in the society. So football for us was never been a, a kind of a, only a game or to come and pr practice our skills, but it was more about a platform that was giving us the, the voices and platform to stand for a bigger purpose for, uh, for our sisters in Afghanistan and in a male-dominated country where we were struggling for our basic human right as a, as a woman just because of our gender. And that was a platform for us. Um, and, and, that it, and that's why the generations and generations of young people came after us. And, and that's why I was involved uh, to to kind of like support and empower more in that platform. And our players uh, and, and female footballers are known as activists inside Afghanistan, people who are standing against Taliban ideology or against the ideology that was preventing women from participation in society. So, uh, and because of their radical thinking and because they were, uh, their voice were loud, they were speaking against those ideologies, we were always having had, we always faced the challenges. Um, and as a result, even before Taliban taking over for the second time, my life was in a great danger because of my voice, because of my activism. I had to leave Afghanistan because of the risk and death threats towards my life. And I had to flee my country. And, and when the Taliban came, of course, the enemy were back in Afghanistan, where their, the identities of our players were, uh, were, uh, were known. They were publicly known in the country, and their activism were known in the country. It wasn't the, th the threats were not only from the Taliban, but also the men and women in the country who were against their activism. So 
and that was the danger that we wanted to get the, the, the players out. Because when you were seeing the march of the Taliban, what were you feeling? You live in Denmark. What were you? What were your emotions as you see that? I think I saw you put out a message telling players, burn your kits, take down your social media posts, hide yourself. What were your emotions as you saw all that and you realised that's not going to be enough? You've got to get these girls out. Um, when the Taliban took over second time the country, it, it was a trauma that so many people, like my generation, the women or men, my generation, who who experienced before um, they, they, their power. Uh, so my childhood, emotionally, like personally, my childhood came before me, where. I went back to the history when I remember when the first time Taliban took over, I was eight years old, when they announced the women and girls are not allowed to go to school, to work, any social activities, any activities in the society, they vanished and, and kind of took over um, the, the, everything from half of the population and kind of turned their faces and, and didn't see the half of population, which was women. Um, so. I knew that I knew how they are where they are and I, I, I never trusted Taliban like the rest of the world and I was never being naive and, and kind of judging that they will they are changed. I knew that they are coming and they are coming back and I knew their ideology as everyone else. Um, the first thing for me was um, the identities of the players, um, their interviews. So of course, I was dealing with emotions, um, seeing my country fallen in, in the hand of the enemy. All the, all the years of dedication, sacrifices I went through and so many other women, through football, through education, there are so many who has actually really spent time, build the country, build, been part of the development. Um, and you, could, you can say that it's just fade away overnight. Um, it was tough, it was very emotional, but meantime I was thinking about the security of our players, about their identities, their voices, their interviews. So I started communicating through media, telling them to take down their photos and their, burn down their jerseys. The jerseys that we really fought hard, that, that was our pride, uh, the sacrifices for that identity. That jersey, the budge, the right that we actually got first women of Afghanistan, it was so tough. We actually risked our lives to wear that jersey, to earn that name, to earn that budge in our chest. And all of a sudden, we are standing for all the years of fight. We are standing and saying, burn that. It was tough. It was painful for me and very emotional. But their security was so important for me. I knew that um, it's going to be very dangerous and Taliban can easily identify them because of their photos were in public, their interviews were in public. But it was not enough because anyways there were like people already knew them. So so I, I started sharing. I remember that there was a moment that I sat in Denmark, sat in Denmark in a perfect world, a perfect country, thinking how can I help them? I don't have money and I don't have the, the, a, a, a private jet to send to get all these people out, all these women out of my country. I cannot get them out. How can I do that? And I don't have a power. That's, that's what I kept thinking. And all of a sudden I was connected back with my purpose. The first time when I, I used football, 
as means to be the voice for voiceless women of my country. And that's what I used again, my voice to be the voice for them. And, and I start sharing my concern in medias, but also with my friends and people within the football network that I had connection with. They started connecting and asking how they can help. And within a few hours, FIFPRO Players Union, um, who, who came and joined us on board, the former uh, coach of Afghanistan women's national team, Kylie Lindsay, and so many other people. And then we started like activating our network. And that's why uh, the Australian team joined us, Craig Foster, Nikki, uh, Alison, who joined us. And then we become a strong team that we managed within a few hours working non-stop, like a machine non-stop. Nobody was sleeping, nobody was actually taking a break non-stop to save these girls, get them out. You mentioned there the pride in the jersey that these girls had and reminds me of their first training session here in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne Victory provided them with full training gear, but they wanted to wear their Afghan kits for the first training session, that red shirt for the first session. These girls really still do love Afghanistan and they love being the Afghan women's national team despite everything they've been through, don't they? It is a, it's a pride to, to play for your country, to represent your country, to also kind of, we always stood up and said we want to change the picture of Afghanistan where people around the world see a country always on war, war in country, there's always terrorism, but we want to change and say that there's also human beings that who love peace, who want development, who want growth in the country, who want to actually use the opportunities to represent the country in a different way. We, that is the women of Afghanistan. So the pri I remember the first time when I wore the jersey of Afghanistan women's national team with my fellow mate, we were crying, we were standing first time when we played with the Afghan jersey, when the national anthem was played for us, when we saw the flag of our country. We were standing there and we were crying and we were feeling so proud of ourselves. But even before the training, even before the game started, we felt that we won. We won a cup because of the struggles we went through. So it is a pride when everybody tells you you cannot play, when everyone tells you in the country that you don't deserve, you, should, you belong to kitchen, you should be a servant, and then you fight so hard and you stand for your right and you are wear the jersey of the country and represent your country. And this is the biggest pride for every woman of Afghanistan who played for the football or any other sports who rep represented Afghanistan. We love our country. We love to represent our country. And these, these women dreamed, they are young women, their dream is to represent Afghanistan. And we don't want our country, the name of our country to die. And that's why we keep fighting even what they have been through and what they are going through. It's they are in the toughest period in their life. With the trauma, with the shock that they have had, they, they, they experience death just before them, before their eyes. They, they, they were separated from their families at the airport of Afghanistan and they left their, their families, their home, their identities, but they're back on the pitch playing because they don't want to, they don't want to give up. They don't want they, all those people who want to take the, who forcefully want to take the right of women. We, they want, and we still want to kind of send back the hope for all the women 
who are their rights are taken from them just because they are women. We want to stand there on the pitch for them and, and we want, still want the FIFA to recognize the national team of Afghanistan because it's not their fault that they cannot represent Afghanistan. Is there not, is there, it's not their fault that they left Afghanistan. They had no choice. They had to survive. When we wanted the FIFA to jump on board, unfortunately they didn't. When I was standing and really begging people through media, asking help me to help the national team of Afghanistan, the statement, the first statement that FIFA released was, we are observing, we are monitoring the situation in Afghanistan, we are monitoring Taliban. And I was like, what? What do you monitor? It's not a corruption case. It's about life and death case. And you're monitoring to see how many players will die, how many players will take, take one by one by Taliban. And they were, as always, they're always late on the game. They're so slow with all the resources, all the things, all the resources they have. And we, as a small team of individuals, came together with no really, not re really re limited resources. We managed to get so many people out of Afghanistan with really tough time. Imagine if we were working together with all the resources they have and all the connection and expertise we have, we, we had, we could work and save so many people, so many players. Uh, but it was, as always, it was late. And we, as a team, have been through a lot. It wasn't my job. I have never signed in anywhere that my, my job is to evacuate players or to stand for the abuse case if that happened many years ago. But I don't know, like when, when the governing bodies fail, individuals take the burden, heavy lifting, and that is emotionally and, and personally, it has a lot of negative impact in my, and also in mental health. Um, but, but we are here to support, but we always feel proud and happy that um, we have never been a member of FIFA Players Union, but they were the ones who joined and like jumped on a board, never asked, questioned, judged, and never said, we will monitor and see what Taliban do. They were like, okay, how can we help when? And, and since day one, they have been supportive enough. And, and also many other individuals and people, clubs, Clubs actually joined, and not federations, um, clubs, uh, companies, organizations, individuals um, really joined together uh, and raised awareness um, and kind of become one voice um, and, and save the money players. Not only the players in, in Australia, in Europe, we have managed to get money teams, um, footballers uh, in Europe as well. One of the individuals that stepped up was Alison Battenson the director principal of Human Rights for All, a charitable law firm that provides pro bono assistance to refugees and stateless people. She explained how the frantic efforts to evacuate the players from Afghanistan and save their lives had in fact been driven by another unified team. One of my board members, Nikki Dryden, who is an ex-Olympic swimmer and, and now also a lawyer, approached me and, and we had a conversation. I asked what she was doing, she said, Kabul athletes and I said well do you want some help um, and it just snowballed and, and started from there 
So within the very first uh, few days of the Taliban walking into to Kabul, um, we were set up with a group of other professional, influential women. Uh, Halida Popal, obviously Nikki Dryden, uh, Hayley Carter and Lindsay, um, Kelly Lindsay, who were their coaches, um, and Kat Craig, who's at FIFPRO, um, the, the union for, for footballers. Um, and then there were a range of other people around supporting us, Tracy Holmes, Moya Dodd, etc., um, to try and get you know, scores of people into Kabul airport um, before, obviously, the Taliban's takeover was complete. I think it, it was just coincidence that at the right time and the right place, there are a group of ex-athletes, female athletes, who have had their professional careers and they'd moved on to other careers in, in law or you know consultancy, something else. So we didn't have to explain to each other why young women in Afghanistan would be under threat from the Taliban because they kicked a ball around, at, at whatever level that they were doing that. Um, and I think all the, the angst and the fight that female athletes have had throughout their lives for recognition and you know, equal pay, all those things, also came out. It was like, these women are under threat and no one is going to care about them unless we do. So we stepped up. There were a lot of sleepless nights. So there were really two stages. The first was the organisational admin stage. Um, my team and myself, we did about 80 protection visa applications in three days. So just churning them out, getting information from Halida, who was doing an amazing job translating. Um, so that initial stage, they were actually sent off to Zali Stegel, who of course is an ex-Olympian as well, Winter Olympian, uh, ex-barrister and, and now um, sits in parliament. So she was instrumental in assisting these women as well. Um, having that access to um, the Department of Immigration through Zali was, was fantastic. After the initial um, administrative stage, I'd received word from a, a contact that anyone with a visa application to Australia, not a valid visa, but a visa application, and who could prove it, should go to the airport. So starting on about the 18th, 19th of, of August last year, the football families and, and individuals started gathering near Kabul airport and there began you know, a, an eight or nine day operation of assisting these women and their families to get in. Um, and to be clear, they did it themselves. You know, They physically fought to get into that airport um, at great personal risk um, with injuries and enormous psychological damage. Um, parents pushing their children forward and basically waving them off and, you know, you need to live, you need to get through. And we were in the background um, monitoring Taliban checkpoints, uh, monitoring where um, Australian uh, officials and, and soldiers were who could assist if we got the women close enough or, or in. Um, so that was obviously incredibly difficult and, and stressful for a long period of time. Some were making it. At first we only knew of one and we thought the whole thing's been worthwhile, we've got one in. Um, and, and of course we were assisting other people as well, it wasn't just female footballers. Um, and then there was you know, one, two, five, ten, twenty, thirty, we're like, oh my goodness, it's, it's working. Um, and then the rules started to change. 
So if you didn't have a valid visa, then you weren't going to get in, you weren't going to get on a plane. So it got more and more stressful as the time progressed on. Um, but eventually, with the last plane out of, um, the last Australian plane out of Kabul, um, the last two family members um, and an up-and-coming female footballer were on that plane, um, which was extraordinary because um, we'd only become aware of them sitting in that ditch in the sewer um, a few hours before that plane left. Each of the players has an individual horrific story, um, but basically the sewer was the place where Western forces were identifying people um, who had the proper documentation and clearance to be physically lifted out of this sewer and and then go through the process at the airport. Um, but it was basically a holding area with a dead end in, you know, standing in days of urine and faeces and with very little water, with no food, um, and constantly under threat, not only of the Taliban who were stopping people getting in, but ISIS. People were very aware that there were credible um, and immediate threats from ISIS. So the, the fear of being in that sewer and abandoned still sits with many of the, the football women today. Um, and it will be an ongoing trauma um, that you know, they will need to have to deal with and, and people interacting with them as well. I mean, being petrified does not even explain the, the level of, of what happened there. In total, uh, Human Rights for All and, and the bigger team, we about 140 people. Um, for women, it was basically the entire adult um, with, with a few younger up-and-coming players uh, football team. So I think approximately 90 women in total, and, and I think it was the largest rescue of um, athletes in history. It's never been done before, and these women did it themselves, being supported by women in, in the background. It, it was extraordinary. And I mean, you know, just looking back on all that, I mean, how does it make you feel? Um, proud, upset, um, very conflicted. Families have been separated. Uh, a lot of the women are, are traumatised. Um, the fact that the Taliban are still in power a year on and ISIS is now stepping up there as well. There was an assassination yesterday from ISIS to the Taliban. I mean, th that is incredibly worrying. And the people who will suffer will be women and children and, and moderate men. Um, and football, for the, for the women to be able to play football in Australia is a huge part of their healing, if they choose to play it. You know, they don't have to, then it might be too trauma, but you can see them when they come together in this team, in this team spirit, how healing sport is. Helping the team stay together in Melbourne was former Socceroo Craig Foster, who these days is one of Australia's most recognisable human rights advocate and played a role in lobbying the Australian government to get the Afghan women's national team here down under. Thanks to an existing connection with Melbourne Victory Director of Football, John Didalitza, the pair having teamed up to help free refugee Hakeem Al-Arabi from foreign detention, he provided the team with an in for a new home in Australia. Well, that's a credit to Melbourne Victory. It's not a credit to me. I just have to pick up the phone and ask the question. But what I said to Kalida, and the thing I'm most thrilled about is that, and what I said to John Didalitza, the first person I called, who is a, is a lifelong friend, really, uh, and was the CEO of our Players Union when I was the chairman. So once again, it's all just the beautiful networks 
you know, that, that we gather over time in sport. But I said to John, these women are refugees and the way our game treats them will tell Australia and the world about how we see refugees. So this is our opportunity as a game to say to Australia, who've had a tortured relationship with refugees for many decades, and particularly the last two, this is our opportunity for Australian football. This is our opportunity for Australian football to show Australia this is how refugees should be treated. And what that means is full professionalism. So there was some talk around, you know, them playing in a, in a, in a Sunday competition or, you know, even within um, a club that had, you know, a large Afghan community of males and females playing. And those were, you know, legitimate possibilities. But my view that I raised with the girls was, I believe that you deserve the very best that Australian football can give you. And that means you must play within a professional club. And if you want to represent Afghanistan, we want to see you given the best opportunity to improve and to achieve and to succeed. That's what being a refugee, seeking asylum and moving on with your life is about. It's not that you are always a refugee for the rest of your life. It is just that it's a temporary circumstances because you had to leave your country. But you're the same as us and you have exactly the same rights and you should have the same opportunities. So I said to John, do you think that you guys could bring them on board as a Melbourne victory slash Afghan women's national team? And thankfully he was excited by it and went to Catherine, the CEO, who fortuitously is the first female CEO in Australian professional football, which is really important. So again, it's the ideal home. They are the, I think, most successful um, A-League women's club. Uh, and the coach, Jeff Hopkins, of the team is the most successful professional women's coach in Australian domestic uh, professional football. So the club grasped it straight away. Uh, also, Anthony DiPietro, uh, you know, was a, was a huge supporter and, uh, you know, that was just thrilling. The thought of them actually being supported by Australian football in a way that they couldn't back in Afghanistan, actually giving them more than what they had before as a demonstration to the Taliban of how much we believe in them was very, very exciting. And Melbourne Victory moved really quickly. Uh, you know, they had to do some fundraising and other things. And I must say, we opened a conversation with another good friend of ours, uh, Kim Ontaliodorus, who's the CEO of Football Victoria, because there needed a collaboration between the professional game and the amateur game. And uh, it's a credit to Kim on and his board uh, and those in Football Victoria that they were amenable to it and that they were able to find a path through because that doesn't always happen. As everyone knows, professional sport very often, and, and in football it is the case in Australia, quite often um, has you know, conflicts uh, with, the, with the strategic aims you know, from professional to... So uh, there were some discussions over a number of weeks and uh, John Didalitza was hugely behind it and kept saying, look, we'll, we'll find a path through. And I kept speaking to Kim on saying, look, you two guys are legends of the game. John Didalitza and Kimon, you know, former soccer, you have to find a way through this. I, you know, you have to find, there's politics involved, of course, 
but you must, on behalf of Australian football, make this happen. And, and you two are best place to do it. And in the end, we got a call to say uh, that it had been accepted, that they would be playing uh, in the Victorian uh, competition, which was just marvellous. You know, these players have been through so much trauma and there's still some of their families back home and all of these things that they have to deal with. But the beautiful part of this story is that at least the game they love so much and that they fled in order to continue to play. That's how much they love it, like we do. Uh, the game that they love has provided them everything that they could have wished for and dreamt of. And that doesn't always happen, you know. Life is complicated and it doesn't always work out in that way. Uh, but, you know, they now actually have an opportunity to improve, excel, learn. They're already playing fantastic football, you know, under outstanding coaching. I said to them, you guys are going to go like that. So when you go and play as the Afghan women's national team, you're not going to know yourselves. You guys are going to go and take on teams and, and be so well organised, so well coordinated. Um, you'll, they'll grow technically, they'll grow in their tactical understanding of the game and those who are able and have the talent to excel can go on here and do whatever it is that they want. You know, um, They'll have opportunity to play professional football in the A-League women um, and in future with their citizenship you know, they'll have the opportunity to play for the Matildas, some of the young ones. So it's really... For refugees, the most important thing is possibilities. That people don't limit their possibilities. That they don't see them as less than worthy. That they don't see them as somehow um, broken. Uh, and that we see them as equals of ourselves. And that those of us who have an opportunity, a platform, have a responsibility to provide them with possibilities. Education, their sport and a future that they can dream of. That's beautiful. But the last word goes to Kalida, who, with the eyes of the footballing world, set to descend on Australia next year for the Women's World Cup, has a simple message to those around the globe. The Afghan team is still here, and they're still fighting for their rights. They need to be aware of that there is a team that their dreams identities are taken away and forcefully they're taken away just because of their gender and I really want every federation every footballer around in the corner to ask one question from FIFA where is your stand you as a home of footballers you're standing for footballers where is your stand how, how you support this team to get their identities back to play for their country to keep their dreams safe this episode of Beyond the Lead is part of a special on the Afghans women's national team being produced by ESPN. You can head to ESPN.com.au and keep across the ESPN Australia and New Zealand social media channels for more insight into this extraordinary team's extraordinary journey. But for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and all of ESPN's collection of podcasts and audio goodness wherever you happen to get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead or any of those other pods, be sure to subscribe, leave a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. 
But thanks for listening today, tomorrow, or whenever you happen to be tuning in. And don't fret, so I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into the world of sports as ESPN takes you beyond the lead very soon.